Philippians chapter number 2 this evening. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. The Word of God says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's read verses 14 and 15 once more. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the privilege it is to be in Your house, Lord, with Your people, with Your Spirit, with Your Word. Now, Father, with all this that pertains to You in this place, how could we not be blessed and how could we not be helped? I pray, Father, that you would gain your will this evening and gain victories in our lives. And I know, Father, if we'll just yield to you, we'll be better. So help us to yield to you, and we'll be sure to give you the thanks for it. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You know, as I read what Paul said about, at that time, the Roman Empire, I can't help but see a picture of much of what we are experiencing in this world today. You know, I've heard people say from time to time, you know, preacher, I just can't live like a Christian now. It's just too hard to be a Christian in this day that we live in. Well, now, while I understand the sentiment, I understand that uh, we do gain some reproach for living like a Christian. I understand that there are times when we might even gain a little persecution for living like a Christian. I'd propose to you that what Paul is teaching us in this verse is that actually the darker that things are in this world, the easier it is to be and to behave like a Christian. You see, the truth is, it should be no great stretch for you or me to live like a Christian because there's not very many people living like Christians in this day that we live in. Uh, Now, I don't know if there's ever been a time uh, in the world other than maybe Adam and Eve's day when there was a majority that was Christians, Bible-believing Christians in this world. But I do know this, that the world is looking for genuine, real Christians to show them something different than what they're seeing. Let me tell you something. I understand it gets a little disenchanting. And it gets a little discouraging to look around at the world in the present condition. You, you feel like nobody's looking for truth. Everybody's looking for lies. But actually what you're seeing is a bunch of people in a misguided way looking for truth. They're looking for something real, something experiential, something substantial. We live in a world of smoke and mirrors, of politicians and campaigns. Let me tell you something. One real Christian sold out to Jesus Christ can make a difference for eternity in this day that we live in. Don't you agree with me there? And I believe Paul is talking about that impact and influence that we can have. Christ spoke of it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Daniel sort of expressed this same thought when he said, They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness shall as the stars... 
forever and ever. And what God is trying to teach us is this. Just as you can go out, I don't know, some of you live in the city. You, you go out, look up at the sky, and you see smog and fog and everything. But when you live out in the country and you go out and you look up into the sky on a clear night, uh, that star, it may seem minuscule, it may seem small, it may not seem very important, but you've got to remember that star is shining from many, many, many hundreds of thousands of miles away. And if you were to see it at its source, you would see a brightness that could blind you. But in the midst of that dark night, uh, so far away, so far removed, the light from that star has the ability to pierce through that blackness and to shine into your eyeballs. In the same way as believers, I believe we have that opportunity. I want us to notice a few things in this passage, and we're going to preach and then uh, eat some pizza and then go home. Somebody say amen to that. I want you to notice where we are to shine. We are to shine in a dark world. Can I just give you a very simple statement, but it's profound? You say, preacher, where are we supposed to shine? Right where we are. Man, we spend a lot of time waiting for God to change our circumstances when God's waiting on us to change our attitude about our circumstances. We spend a lot of time waiting for everything to work out where we can serve God. Can I give you a little secret? And I, I'm not the voice of experience, but I have watched people long enough and I have uh, served the Lord long enough to understand this. There's never going to be a time where it's going to be convenient to serve God. Uh, you say, what is the convenient time? Right here, right now, in this very moment. You're not promised tomorrow. Most of you know I went and preached a funeral today. Young man, 24 years old. He didn't plan on dying. Uh, I bet most people don't. Amen. Uh, but the truth is that life is a precious thing and nobody's promised tomorrow and you may leave this world before the sun rises on the morrow. So you better do something now while you have the opportunity. We're to shine right now in this current world. I'd propose to you that really, in some ways, the church at Philippi had a worse situation than me and you. I mean, I know we live in a wicked world, and I know our country is growing increasingly wicked every day, but I don't believe we've yet filled up the cup of iniquity that the Roman Empire had filled up. Uh, but Paul says to these believers, you can shine. You can make a difference in this dark world that you live in. Spiritual darkness is not an obscure topic in the Bible. Several times it's mentioned, and really just a few are jotted down, but I could, I could read a whole lot more if I set my mind to do so. But in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Acts chapter 26 says it this way in verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Boy, I like that, don't you? That's what happens to a sinner when he gets saved. He's turned from darkness to light. And John 3.19 says this, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds we're evil. Let me tell you something. We live in a wicked world, and we live in a world that loves wickedness. But that's no hindrance to you and I living for Jesus Christ. There are believers that have lived in far worse conditions than you and I. And I didn't come to church not just to fuss at you, but let me just say this. I think it's high time we quit making excuses. We quit poor-mouthing about our condition. We, quit, uh, we crawl out of our uh, wallowing in self-pity. And we begin to realize that God's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And He expects you and I to do something with that. He expects us to live for Jesus Christ without excuses, without, uh, without any reservations. Just live for Jesus Christ in this dark world. There are a few words that Paul uses to describe the world. I want you to notice with me in verse number 15. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked 
and perverse nation. That word crooked is interesting. It denotes the idea that the world is depraved in its actions. And uh, you've heard people talk, called crooked before. We're, uh, we're coming into the election season. And uh, I, me and Brother Kerry were talking on the way back from the youth activity Friday night. And he said, if you could vote right now, you know, who would you vote for? And we was talking back and forth. And I said, well, let me tell you something. It's a long time till November. Am I right? It's a long time till November. There's, what, 11, 14 conservatives, quote-unquote, running. I promise you, out of the, the 14 that are running, at least 16 there will be a scandal on. Amen? I mean, we live in a wicked world, a world that is depraved in its actions. It is backwards, it is crooked, it is wrongdoing in everything that it does. I think when we look around at this world and we see the hatred and the violence, we have no struggle seeing what Paul is talking about. That word crooked, it's where we get our word scoliosis from. It has the idea of a bent back or a crooked walk. And certainly this world does things in a crooked way. If there's a wrong way to do it, the world will not only do it, it'll get everybody else doing it, and then it'll endorse the doing of it. Amen? I believe that this world is depraved in its actions. But I notice also the word perverse. I believe Paul is speaking when he uses the word crooked concerning the world's actions, but I believe he's speaking about the world's attitude when he says perverse. Man, if there's ever been a time when things look perverse, you know what something is that's perverse. It's something that is polluted. It is something that is filthy. It is something that is, uh, that is abnormal. And Paul says that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world that sees things through a funhouse mirror. Let me tell you something. When we live in a world where uh, a spotted owl or, or a, you know, box-snouted, rusticated-footed, cloven-tongued sea turtle has more protection than the unborn child, we live in a perverse world. We live in a perverse world. When you turn on the television and the most important person on television is somebody confused about the way God made them, we live in a perverse world. When you turn on the news and all across the nation, uh, little girls are forced to go to the bathroom with little boys just because these little boys claim to be confused about the way God made them, we live in a perverse world. Uh, and on and on we could go with anecdotal evidence concerning the perverseness of this world. But I'm merely saying the world looks at things wrong. It looks at things backwards. Uh, I was talking, uh, I think I mentioned this last time I preached. I, I think I was like four months ago. But last time I preached, uh, I mentioned that I was talking to a preacher friend. And this world will convince you you're crazy if you let it. it you look around and you feel like everybody sees things wrong except us Christians. Well, the truth is, uh, everybody does see things wrong except Christians. Amen? Come on now. Everybody does. The only right worldview is a biblical worldview. And we ought not be ashamed of that. Now, you say, preacher, what do we do? I mean, hey, things are too bad. No, things aren't too bad. The darker it gets, the easier it is to shine. Now, let me tell you something. I'm going to be trying to be very pragmatic and practical for just a, a split second here. I believe everybody ought to sell out 100% for Jesus Christ. Don't you? But the truth is, most of us ain't sold out 5%, because if we would be, we'd be blazing a trail. 
The fact is, we talk about not wanting to give everything to Jesus Christ, but most of us haven't given much of anything to Jesus Christ. Because if we had, you could see it by how distinct our walk is compared to this wicked world that we live in. I think Vance Havner said it best when he said that if we were to go back to the early church and see the way the apostles lived, we'd learn that they'd have to backslide to get into fellowship with the best of us. Amen? I mean, that's the world that we live in today. But that's the state of believers in this day that we live in. None of these things impede us from living for Jesus Christ. I think that we're to shine in a dark world, but I think we're to shine by a distinct walk. Let me tell you, you don't have to be much as long as you're different. Uh, you say, preacher, when I, you know, when I talk about church and the things of God, when I, when I look different, dress different, act different, people think I'm peculiar. Well, if you're saved, you are peculiar. You are a peculiar people. That's what God calls you. Not strange in an offensive or a shocking way, but different than the world that is around you. And Paul begins to describe some things. And I just want to note two of them that he points out. I would say that there is a walk that is hurtful that we can have. Paul talks about the impact that a Christian can have if he will be different from this world. But you know, impact goes both ways. You can be an impact for the glory of God, or you can be an impact for the hindrance of the gospel. Uh, there's a lot of Christians that, uh, uh, truth be told, the, the testimony of Jesus Christ would have been better off had they not lived and behaved the way that they did. And Paul describes some of those people. And, and uh, if, you, if you study the, the Hebrew and the Greek, you'll find out that these two words mean Baptist, okay? Somebody say amen to that. He says this in verse 14, Do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. Let me tell you something. Complaining Christians are a bad testimony on the Lord Jesus Christ. We all complain from time to time. I'm sure Paul was guilty of complaining from time to time. But he understood this, that when he did complain, it was a mark against the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses two words. He says, do things without murmurings. (laughs) That word murmur is interesting because it has the idea of doves cooing. And basically what it's talking about is people that always have something to say. Amen? Come on now, folks that always have something to say negative. You ever met anyone like that? I've met a few. I mean, you give them a $100 bill, they'd complain it wasn't crisp enough. You know what that reflects? That reflects that it's not that you're dissatisfied with everything else. It reflects that you're really dissatisfied at your core. And for a Christian, that means being dissatisfied with Christ. I mean, I, hey, listen, I understand things go wrong sometimes. If anybody understands that, your preacher understands things go wrong sometimes. Things aren't what you expect them to be sometimes. But guess what? It don't matter how bad it gets. If you're saved, then you're still going to be saved. God's still on the throne. The Lord's still coming back. God's still good to us. We've got something to rejoice about. We've got something to shout about. And it don't matter how much we have to murmur about, we have more to praise the Lord about says, do things without murmurings. Then he says, do things without disputings. It's interesting to me that we get our word dialogue from that word for disputing. Uh, and it has the idea of someone that's always arguing and argumentative. Now, I've I got to confess to you. I mean, there's, the Holy Ghost put his finger on me when he said, because I, I like to argue. Anybody, anybody give me a witness out there? You like to, it's a sport to me. I, I'm just being honest with you. I, I'm good at it. And, I, and there's a part of me that enjoys it. Amen? But we have to understand that 
Nobody, listen, nothing is ever solved through arguing. Can I just, and I've said this before, but listen now. If someone is arguing, they are not listening. You can't argue and listen at the same time. It may seem simplistic, it may seem elementary, but you were taught as a child, and so was I, that God gave us one mouth and two ears because He wanted us to listen twice as much as He wanted us to talk. Now, this is a big mouth preacher telling you this, but understand that there is a place to just sit in silence and allow the Lord to deal and to work in your heart and in your life. I believe we ought to do things without murmurings and disputings. You know, it said of Gandhi, and there's a hundred quotes from Gandhi to this same uh, effect. I guess he said it a lot, but he made the statement. He said, I probably would have been a Christian had I never met one. Someone came along, and by the way, I think Mahatma Gandhi, I think he answered to the Lord for himself. I understand that. But probably there was somebody along his path that could have had a positive influence for the cause of Christ that had a negative influence on the cause of Christ. I think there is a walk that is hurtful, but I think there's a walk that is helpful. Listen how Paul describes in verse number 15. He says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. It's interesting. This language trips people up sometimes. And I guess why is because we hold the idea of blameless as being sinless or perfect. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul would have been the first to confess to you that he was a flawed and failure of a man, that he made mistakes on a regular basis, and yet he is admonishing them to be blameless. Well, what's he talking about? Well, just break it down, look at it for what it says. We spend a lot of time and and, and a lot of money on books to tell us what the King James Bible can already tell us. Amen? Blameless. In other words, you ought to live a life, not that's perfect, but live a life where nobody can look at you and place blame in some large or prominent way. In other words, we ought to maintain a testimony. The word blameless literally means unmixed. It has the idea, it was used of metals uh, that had no alloy within them. And, And what he's saying essentially is that you ought to be someone that is the same thing on the outside or on the inside that he claims to be on the outside. In other words, you ought to be pure and unmixed in your motives. You ought to be somebody that's solid and genuine through and through. He says you ought to be blameless, but then he says that you ought to be harmless. That's interesting that he should use that word harmless because if there's anything that we see in churches today, it's people that are harmful. Amen? Church is an easy place to get hurt. Right? And I think sometimes we, we imagine that it's because we wear our, our hearts on our sleeves, and I'm sure that is true for some, but part of the reason that folks get hurt so much in churches is because there's a lot of hurtful people sometimes in churches. Sometimes we use our liberty, as Paul said, for a cloak of maliciousness. And we decide that we have become the one that everybody's got to answer to. Paul says, no, 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 no. You want to make an impact on this world? You go and do good to them. And show them no harm. He's not implying that you don't, you're not vocal. And he's actually going to talk about how vocal your testimony ought to be. But let me tell you something. The world is not interested in a hypocrite. And the world doesn't care a thing about the gospel that you carry and about the truths that you can spout if your life does not evidence the things that you're sharing. Uh, when I preached that funeral today, I, I was talking to the family and, and considering some of the things that I wanted to say and 
and how I was going to preach that message. But the thing that was interesting to me was the very fact they had called me in the first place. I had not seen the young man in six years. And they, when he passed away, the first person they thought to call was me. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's not because I pack out arenas with my wonderful preaching. Amen? It's not because I pastor 10,000 people, because I don't. The reason they called me was because they knew I loved that young man. He had made an impact in my life, and I in his. This family, I do not know their spiritual conditions. Big family, a lot of people in it. Might be a mixed spiritual condition. There could be some saved and, and some lost. But they did understand this. And I don't say this to puff me up. I am a failure in so many ways. But they understood that I loved that young man, and that made an impact on them. Let me tell you something. You'd be amazed how far you can get just loving people and being good to people. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place for confrontational soul winning. There most certainly is. But I'm saying this, that confrontational soul winning don't mean much if we don't love folks. We're to be blameless and and harmless without rebuke in this perverse nation. Then I want you to notice what he says in verse number 16. I believe we are to shine in a dark world and we are to shine by a distinct walk. But Paul declares to us that we are to shine forth a divine word to them. It is not just kindness for kindness' sake, but it is kindness that we might impart something to them and show something to them. And Paul calls it the word of life. Verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Now, we have no doubt what that word of life is. It's that Bible that you hold in your hands. But Paul says this, that your kindness, uh, the, the means ought to be, the end of the means ought to be the message. In other words, the reason we live this way is not just so that we can help people and encourage people, but so that we can show them truth from the Word of God. That is the purpose and ends that we are driving towards. And he describes it first off by saying this is a word of life, or can I say this, it is a word that introduces life to a dark world. In other words, we live in a world that doesn't know what life is. But guess what? This book can show them what life is. All around us, there are men, women, and children that think they're living. Yes, their heart beats. and Yes, their, their brain functions on some level. But they do not know what life and life more abundant is. People stumbling through the darkness, just trying to survive. You and I, the light has been flicked on for us. We bask in the glory of a relationship with the Son of God. Paul says we have the greatest gift we could ever possibly give them. We ought to introduce them to this. We ought to show them the purpose of your walk is to show them the Word. In other words, uh, the reason that you live the way that you do is with the goal in mind that they might see Christ in you. He speaks of a Word that introduces life but he speaks of a word that imparts life. It is the word of life not only because it can reveal life in a person, but because it can literally impart life into them if they will believe on it. In other words, and can I just say it real simple? We're just trying to give them what we've got. We've been saved by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know there's some that would draw us away from the simplicity that is in Christ. I know there's some, and I, listen, I'm not against ministries. We've got ministries around here. We've got less than some churches, more than a whole lot of churches. But let me tell you something. At the end of the day, every ministry, every effort, every endeavor that the local church begins 
It ought to have, inasmuch as it can impact the lost, this purpose, showing and sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're in the business of doing. And as a believer, that is your responsibility, just as it's my responsibility, just as it's the responsibility of those around you. And we need to understand, instead of making excuses about, oh, preacher, everything's so bad, everything's so awful. Let me tell you something. It bothers me when I hear somebody that talks more about how bad the world is than they do how good God is. I know things are bad. I'm aware of that. Let me tell you something. It don't matter how bad the world is. God is better than the world is bad. All the time. And let me tell you, we, we walk around all the time waiting for everything to blow up. <laughs> well, one of these days, the Lord's going to come back. And then seven years later, He's going to come back again. And He's going to come back in power and in glory. Oh, yes, one of these days, it'll be settled. But right now, you and I, we have a job to do. We have a job to do. Instead of making excuses about how the world's such a hindrance, why don't we just trust that the same God that empowered uh, 12 men uh, to change the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ has the capacity to take the 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 that gather here on a weekly basis and use us to do something for Jesus Christ by living the Lord in front of people, by loving people for the Lord, and by sharing with them the love that God has for them.